Welcome to Rain City Supercars. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. <laughs> Dan's second week back. How yep. you feeling? Still surviving out of rehab. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 baby steps. Still trying to find my nesting dolls. Well, that's <laughs> you know, that's an earned privilege, yeah. and and we know why we don't have those anymore, don't and we? And it's not baby steps. You're it's not twelve. You're not supposed to drink out of the bottom of a uh, of a nesting doll. <laughs> so I think we learned that now, didn't we, Dan? <laughs> They're good for shots, though. Well, yes, the, the small little ones are, but <laughs> those are children, so uh, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's time to shape up, Dan. I know. I'm sorry. Yep. Well, we are brought to you, as usual, by Avance, Haggerty, Drivers Club, Rainier Beer, and Carter Subaru. Woohoo! Do yeah. the do. So, boy, we should just jump right into our tech tip. So, <laughs> this was a process. And uh, I, I like to do research. It's fun for me to read. But as I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to do one on catalytic converters. I want to know how those work. <laughs> end to end. Yeah. Okay. So like seven pages later into my research of catalytic converters, like, this is way too long. This is actually a really good episode topic. I, uh, I'm going to reach out to some people and talk about emissions, but it's, an, it's its own episode. But as I got into it, I ran into something that I found super interesting that I had no idea about. And that is urea. And it is... Exactly like it sounds, actually. Um, if you guys don't know, urea is something that's added to diesel engines um, as an emissions requirement now. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew it was like urea, urine-based, urine but uh, I'm going to do a little reading here straight from our friends at How Stuff Works because this is super interesting. Uh, so also known as carbamide is an organic compound made of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and hydrogen. And this is the interesting part. It's found in the urine of mammals and amphibians. <laughs> So, to get to the point, why do diesel engines have urea? Why do they have it now? So, catalytic converters work best at high temp. In fact, that's why if you start an older vehicle uh, that has a, a two-stage catalytic converter, um, you typically get a, a really noxious fuel smell. Uh, it, gas diesel doesn't matter, but it's because the its car hasn't warmed up yet. And so, the, car, the catalytic converter isn't doing its job really yet. That fuel, that extra unburnt fuel is just passing throughout the exhaust and you smell it. Uh, don't start your car in your garage, obviously, for this reason. Um, what urea does is it's added to the exhaust system of diesels because diesels run at a much cooler temperature. This helps catalyze the fuel emissions from diesel coming through the exhaust. It helps basically activate the catalytic converter, the catalysts in the catalytic converter. So that's why it's added. It actually allows diesel to burn cleaner. Is I mean, but then you have that, you have like Mercedes, like the Blue Tech. Is that like... Along the same lines? Uh, good question. Okay. I, I mean, we, we were talking about this before we went on, but like it just came into my mind as we're, I'm thinking about Mercedes and all that and all the blue tech stuff. So I'm wondering if that's part of it. So, yeah. And one of the things that some older vehicles have, it didn't work that well, but they have a, a starting procedure in diesels where you turn the key and you hold it until it says you can start it. Like glow plugs. Glow plugs, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's also warming the exhaust. It's uh, warming it up so that it actually fires and, and runs and burns off that extra fuel. And so they don't do that anymore because it actually wasn't that efficient. It didn't work that well. They use this they use urea and a few a bunch of other different methods actually. But that was one of the reasons you had to warm it up first, is it wasn't going to be able to burn all that fuel because diesel just runs really cool. Um, I'm a little disappointed here because we had a huge setback between some manufacturers of getting diesel out to the market, and it's super popular overseas, and it's actually really efficient. Diesel done right is great. Uh, diesel done wrong is not. Uh, it, it does produce more emissions when it's done wrong. And so when you have a really efficient diesel motor, you get more torque, you get more power, you get a, a much better fu improved fuel economy. So it, huge advantages. Um, I think we're dealing with bad marketing and some other factors that have limited diesel in the U.S. But uh, the more I've researched it, the more I've been impressed at how much diesel can do. And Audi even ran, ran, did a run in, at Le Mans with a diesel car. It didn't do that bad. I think... We could still swing in that direction. But super interesting. Urea is, in fact, urine. Good <laughs> uh, to know. Yeah, it doesn't smell like urine when you pour it into the tanks, but uh, that's what diesels need to run cleaner. And it, it works. It's a kind of an ingenious solution. But, uh, yeah, as somebody who's looking at a new diesel Jeep and looking at the oh. limited range because they had to make a smaller fuel tank because they had to add a urea tank. Okay. Yeah, so this is, like, all going down on that road. And uh, so hopefully diesels will see making a comeback. We have the Colorado ZR2. We're seeing it in smaller vehicles now. That's right. It's an optional in just about every small truck overseas. When I was in Thailand, everything was a diesel because it's just so much more efficient hmm. over there for mileage. And gas is actually not cheap there either. So, yeah. I didn't I didn't know that they had to make a smaller gas tank in the Jeep because of that. That's yeah, they had to add a urea tank. And uh, huh. it'll be inter interesting to see what the aftermarket does with that. I'm Let alone that and, making sh and getting refills on those. That'll be an interesting market too. Well, urea is pretty common. You can buy it just about anywhere. But, but I'm saying, yeah, I mean that's some, but and I and I've seen diesel tanks where you have the two different spouts and things like that to fill it. But there's just a lot of people that 
that don't. <laughs> you know, they buy a diesel and they don't realize what they have. So yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. So there, yeah, there's usually a warning though. But diesels don't go through urea like they do fuel. Thank God. Yeah. So you don't yeah. need as nearly as much <laughs> of it. It's just a quick spray and it starts up and you're good to go. But it, it does. It does make. It's interesting to see how emissions have changed the way vehicles are built and the fact that we can still build them. Um, it's kind of a good thing. I'm, I'm not an anti-emissions guy. I'm not one of those old school people that's like, the catalytic converter ruined everything. It's like, no, it just it forced technology and engineering. Yeah, thanks, Obama. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, catalytic converter came out in 1975, actually. So it was a long time ago. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to see technology keep up and change with that market. So. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Uh, like I said, I'll try and get somebody in to talk all about emissions for us because it is a cool topic, so... But I got a few people I can reach out to. You know a guy? Yeah, and emissions is going away <laughs> for us. <laughs> you got you got your own urea guy? Yeah, I do. Okay, good. I do. Good to know. I actually know a guy who owns a gas station and has helped uh, develop some fuel. So very cool. I know a really good guy I want to bring in here. So nice. Let's go. But uh, yeah, how you been, man? Good. Uh, I had uh, the distinct opportunity, thanks to uh, McLaren of Seattle, uh, to drive the new McLaren GT this weekend. I was going to ask you all about that. I was gone. Um, interesting car. And to simply uh, sum it up in my mind, and we, we had a nice conversation afterwards with a couple other people, it is definitely the car that I would want to feel very comfortable to drive to the track, but I wouldn't necessarily drive it on the track. It is a really comfortable car. The interior is very is, is like a, a plush uh, 570. It's got a lot more horsepower. It's a very comfortable, like I said, it's a very, and I get the whole idea of it. And the fact that it's mm. something that if you had that wealth, you could drive it out to the peninsula for a weekend. I don't know how well it would do thrashing it around roads. Like, I just, like, I mean, like on a Seamount Rally or something like that, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it's there. It's a McLaren, like I said. And, it, yeah. I mean, it has that pickup. And it still has the track mode and all that and the active. And you can, you know, like I said, the interior is identical. I mean, the, the chassis-wise, I think it's, it's closer to a 720. And power-wise, it's a little bit better than a 600. But um, it's a car that you have to, when you look at it, it initially, it's hard to kind of get it. But... Um, I think it's a market it'll work. Um, I think it's it's going to be up against, price-wise it won't be, but it's going to be up against cars like yours. Yeah, I was wondering. I mean, it is a GT by name, Grand yeah. Touring. And uh, that said, I mean, I wouldn't really take, I wouldn't buy a 911 Turbo as a track car. It can certainly do it, but, I mean, Porsche makes a GT3 and 2 for a reason. Yeah. Um, and that would be, I don't know, it's still, I, that's my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm the Grand Tourer guy versus a track guy, but I'm curious to see where they go with the market with that car. I think it will sell because I think what you're going to find is a lot of people that have the track cars, the 720s, the 600 LTs, will buy this car, and, and basically it'll you could you can daily it. I mean, you and I prove you can daily McLaren, but uh, yeah. I'm sure others have too. But it it, it was a, it was a comfortable car. I enjoyed it. Um, interesting, really heavy brakes. Like I drove the steel brakes and the, the carbon ceramics, and it's just the brake feel was very different in that car. Um, huh. And the way it tracked, I mean, uh, it's a not a known fact, but McLaren has has partnered with, and I forgot who it is, but there is a specific tire that works with that car. That is that, that they they designed it's the Pirelli, car. Around. I, I think it's a Pirelli. You're yeah. right, and they've designed it around that. So, um, you know, it was wet. I mean, we're, we weren't out there. Obviously, it's, it's a test drive and it's somebody else's car, so you're not beating on it. But, I mean, it tracked well. But I just didn't. It didn't feel like if I had really, really thrown it into the corners, or if I had the ability to throw it in the corners. Like it was going to be there, but it felt very comfortable driving, and like we were stuck in a lot of traffic, and I was surprised in the fact that it, it was a comfortable car. Yeah, I've been. I was very. <laughs> I was disappointed. I did not get to drive it on Friday because yeah. I had the invite. I was out of town for a wedding. Um, I did do some car spotting of my own. I was down in L.A. and I went to Rodeo Drive uh, and down there just just for the car spotting. Good old Rodeo Drive. Yeah. Yeah, Rodeo yeah. Drive or Rodeo if mm -hmm. you're fancy. And uh, yeah, car spotting in down there is even different it's a little different than here <laughs> well that, that's big down in that area that that um you see it all the time on the youtube with the, the you know those guys but yeah every other car is a ferrari down there it feels like and it's just uh, rodeo drive <laughs> yeah especially yeah. rodeo drive which is fun i mean don't be wrong it, it i am obviously very jaded from you know doing all the car shows and working with exotics and things like that but uh it's uh it reminded me that one i love our car culture here and i was having a good conversation with somebody down there about how you would sort of get shunned for driving around here just to show off. If you love your car and you like to drive, it's one thing. But if you're one of those show-off guys, typically the car crowd doesn't really embrace that here. No. They're just like, okay, whatever, you got money. Peace out. Have a nice day. Nobody really cares. Um, 
there's definitely a look at me and my car. <laughs> I think up here, when you see a car like a Ferrari or something parked on the side of the road, you look at it and you go, oh, look, look at all the pine needles. It's dirty. Somebody drove that car. Yeah. Down there, you look at it and go, oh, they drove it out of their garage and they trailer it down here and then they parked it in front of the store. And Yeah. Was that Bugatti parked out? Did you see that? Bug- I, d- that I did not. Is it Bichon or I don't know who it is. That's the yellow and black one that's always parked outside one of the yeah. high-end stores. Well, it was kind of funny. Uh, part of that conversation was just talking with people. I actually talked to a couple down there who used to manage a... Um, an IndyCar team back in the 80s and 90s. So okay. really cool car, car car conversation. And one of the things we're saying is how we're seeing a lot of retail die. And we've noticed that obviously everywhere is Amazon's taking over and things like that. And online retailing has come big. I did not realize the effect it would have on a place like Rodeo Drive, where that is like king. And I was like, there's a lot of stores that are closed here. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And big names too that I did not expect that are just like, we're not making enough and the rent's too high. Uh, you would think that of all places in the world, that would be sheltered from that. It is not. <laughs> they're getting they're getting hit hard from re- online marketing. Well, and I, but I think I mean this is going off on a subject. But I was having a conversation. I happened to talk to the store owner that owns the AT and T store that's on the corner of uh, Northeast Eighth and Bellevue Way. Mm-hmm. Their month, their rent every month is almost a hundred thousand dollars, and they don't come close to making that. But having that spot and being visually there. Is, is worth it. So, I mean, yeah. I think that will still, you'll still get the oh, retail. It'll still be there. But the high-end purse market and the high-end dress market may may suffer because, I don't know, I, it seems like you'd want to go in and see the person and, and, and not, when I think Rodeo, I think of like, you know. Same here. The Gucci and, and stuff like that. Yeah and, yeah, and there is all that, which it was still, it was just interesting to see. I hadn't been down to Rodeo in years. And so I was like, well, I'm down there. I'm going to go take a look. And it was super fun just to walk around. And we did a lot of walking around just checking things out. Yeah. But I was surprised to see that, that a lot more was closed than I expected. And hmm. the, it, the scene has changed a lot even since I was down there. Um, and like I said, a lot of that has to do with people buying stuff online out of state things like that it's a uh, it's just a different market now especially with the younger generation being very savvy to wanting to buy online they don't want to do with the haggle they don't want to deal with the name they're just like just give me what i want call it a day um which is uh leads us into our topic for today and our guest for today i brought back a specialist we were talking about somebody who would be perfect for this episode and it does not get any more perfect than the person. And he wasn't available, so we <laughs> got Steve. Uh, no. <laughs> Welcome back to guest number one Uno. of Rain Ooh. City Supercars, Steve Theodore. Super Steve, as he was called back in the day. Um, still Super Steve, but also quite the Porsche aficionado and also quite the expert uh, at buying cars out of state, out of the country. And we're going to talk about that and everything you might want to know. Hi, Steve. Hi, Welcome Steve. Back. Hi, guys. We, we've progressed since you saw us the first time. The, wow. You don't know this. Our first episode that we did, and Steve was gracious enough, gracious enough to do it, we did it in a small little back room with a, a cent, what was it, like it was a mic sitting in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we didn't even have to like really describe this, Steve. We're like, we're going to try this. And he's like, I'm in. I'm in. I'll be there. Yeah, sounds so. fun. Let's and, do it. And yeah. nothing's changed since. Nope. But, but clearly, congratulations are in order. Yeah. So <laughs> We may you. have Thank less you. talent now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but you for but coming. a beautiful in. backdrop, and yeah. it's, it's a pleasure to come back. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you for our toy cars. Well, it's a tradition Steve now. Steve always gives yeah. us toy cars. And tradition. <laughs> you know, he thinks that we don't go home and play with them because we do. Um, oh, no, I know what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I would do the same. Inappropriate, Steve. Inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, do you know how many cars offhand you've purchased out of state or... And is that a number you want to say in front of your wife? Well, she <laughs> she knows. She, there's no hiding that, even though some have been purchased uh, without the permission granted first. Uh, still, <laughs> still kind of paying for that, unfortunately, but it's my own fault. Um, <laughs> married people understand. Mm-hmm. So a, a quite a few have been bought out of state, mostly Supras, and yeah. there's a very specific reason for that. I I'll go as deep into whatever you want as, as you'd like. Yeah. Um, but that whole genesis kind of started with Supras because there weren't many in the Pacific Northwest and there was a pricing vortex on them as I came to realize. So meaning I didn't think I could afford one because all the ones that were local were well out of my price range. When I started searching nationally, I realized it was like a, a pocket up here where the price was, let's say, 7000 bucks more for the same car. And this is pretty fast and furious. So you could buy a nice Supra for $20,000 in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, but you couldn't do it up here. 
So, so I learned, you know, with the national forums that I was a member of, you'd see the for sale ads, you'd start looking at AutoTrader, which did still exist in those days. Yeah. And, and it was uh, in paper. Was, yeah, yeah, paper yeah. form, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. No, well, you guys remember those days, checking out of the, the grocery store and you had to grab all those yep. car, car, the exactly. free car mags. Yeah. So, and I was one of the same guys. So obviously we all did that. But yeah, I, I, I found if you expanded your search horizon, the price could come down quite a lot. And so that's what led to the whole, maybe I could go out of state. Maybe there's a chance. But I didn't know what to do, you mm -hmm. know, so I, I went to my credit union and I said, what can I do? You know, in, in theory, I can borrow this much money and you guys are fine with it, but the car is out of state. And what I learned is, is it actually has become a lot harder over time. There was a time where it was much easier. Like they literally would give me the check, yep. you know, the cashier's check. Here you go, sir. You know, good luck to you kind of thing. And you hop on a plane. The title. Yeah. 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 So yeah. They weren't as hard on the title either. And you, you would literally, and it was scary and it's still scary. I can, we can talk about a more modern story, you know, with yep. one of my new acquisitions, but you'd go down there and you'd be just praying. This is before PPIs were, I'd say, commonplace. So you're, there's a lot of trust involved as far as, you know, hey, what's the condition of the car? You need to be pretty sure. You know, oh, I took those photos 10 years ago, but it's the same right. car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's, uh, let's start at the very beginning of before you buy to getting the financing to actually getting the car, delivering it. We'll walk you guys through the whole process because this is a very common thing now. I've, and Steve and I have done it many, many times. So we will be right back. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. <laughs> it always does. I know. So before we left off, or where we left off, we were talking about uh, the start to finish process. And I guess... The art of buying out of state. Yeah, it, which is not as easy as it sounds, um, but it just takes a little longer. I want to start with actually getting the financing in order. Because before you even look for a car, you're going to need to figure out how much you can afford. And you're going to need to work with a credit union or bank that understands how to work with somebody out of state. And as I found out in purchasing my Turbo S from Delaware, that wasn't as straightforward as it was even with the same credit union that I used last time. Three times before, actually. I actually switched credit unions. Policies change. Things change. This is a really important thing to figure out um, as to knowing how much you can afford and how you're going to send an anonymous stranger that you've never met uh, possibly over six figures. <laughs> Uh, which is a little intimidating at first. Uh, the right buyer or the right seller, excuse me, makes a huge difference. But uh, I'll start with my story and I'll have Steve tell me one of his. So I go through a local credit union here. Um, I have, they're still my daily banking. And I went to them again, looking for, uh, this, would, this was the fourth car I was going to be financing through them that I had purchased out of state. And so I found the car. I had already had been pre-approved and I was like, okay, no problem. Same old, same old. I'll go in, I'll have them send him the ch uh, his bank, uh, the check, because he, he still had uh, some money on it owed, and then he would, that would pay off the loan, the transfer title, I'll go pick up the car. All said and done, no problem, right? Yeah, Easy. no. <laughs> totally no. And in today's day and age, you would think that this would be a much more common process, but uh, they were very insistent that the seller come in and sign paperwork. <laughs> Why does the seller need to sign paperwork at your bank? Release of interest on the is what they yeah. wanted before okay. they issue funds. Before they issue funds, and you would, I was like, well, don't we just go through his bank and a notary, and he goes in and signs off, and everything's fine, right? No, they wanted him in the bank, no matter what. And at first, I was thinking, well, that's crazy. Like, I ended up talking to the wrong person who hasn't done this before. That was my first thought. <laughs> I was like, this person hasn't dealt with this before. I've done this three times before. You can look at my my old loans. You know, I've done this before. And it was because of the amount of money. Uh -huh. um, it was most of the cars I had purchased before were significantly lower in cost. And, uh, I, you know, I've gotten better at life as I've gotten on, I guess, in career. And now I was buying a much more expens expensive vehicle. And uh, due to that, they were they were insistent that this was a no-go deal for them. They were not going to release the money without the seller being present. Uh, and they were aware that he was in Delaware. Yes. And so even though I had pre-approval, I quickly swapped banks um, to another to another loan. I actually, went, I'm going to shout out to my friends at First Tech here in Kirkland who were like, no problem. 
<laughs> yeah, so uh, same thing happened last time there. He went into the bank. He did a release of interest in the loan with a notary. He got it notarized at his bank. Uh, they sent the cash. The The car was paid off on his side. The, the, name, the title work transferred to me and the bank, and then done. It was actually really easy once I got the right bank to do it, but it, it was a, uh, if you're buying a, a vehicle of significant cost, this can be a concern. So they told you that because of the cost of the vehicle, that's why that they had changed yeah. their, okay. Yeah. So I, I was borrowing more than I, I would in another vehicle. I, sure. did, I did finance some of it, not all of it, of course, but uh, it was, yeah, they were, they were not willing to do that anymore. Hmm. So I was, so the more you know, right? Um, I had a very, very patient seller. Thank God. Um yes. No, telling the seller and both of us being very forthright about what we were doing with our money and how that was going to get to him in a check and what I needed to get that. He was luckily a very upstanding person who was willing to do whatever I needed, no matter what, in front of a lawyer, in front of his bank, whatever. He was like, whatever you need, I got it. Um, that was the first green flag in buying this car is that my seller was absolutely willing to work with me no matter what it was to get me what I needed. Well, and like you said, I mean, in certain situations, you went and got the car, but the, like Steve, we're going to talk to you about that. There's a lot of times you send money across the country to somebody you don't know, yeah. you who's who may have had the car inspected, but you don't know if they it was inspected by Bob down the street or if they've taken it to you know said dealership or things like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. So where do you guys want to start? We uh we can take this to into way back land. We can talk about more modern transactions that I've done, but it, it they're all there's all similarities. In yeah. There. Let's do, let's talk more modern transactions so we can keep it as relevant as possible to somebody who's doing this right now. Sure. I'd actually like to, because I bought my one of my latest cars from Canada, and that that comes up a lot. I end up trying to help people a lot, a lot who do that, because there's a lot of uncertainty when you bring a car into the U.S. We hear about it more now with these 25-year rule, the kind of floating 25-year rule, and then people bring in the Japanese cars we always wanted when we were kids, playing PlayStation. You know, they're now legal, so we hear more about those cars coming in. But I think there's a different, there's other cars that started life as U.S. cars, migrated north, and then we want to bring them back. And that was the case that I was in with the Porsche that I bought this past April. And that was an extremely strange deal. <laughs> and I'd be happy to share yeah, it. But yeah. it, it, it's an oddball one. There's no bank. So we, if that's really what you want, it's not part of that no, story. No, I'm sure a lot well, of actually, there is a part of that. I will help you with a bank piece in that story for anybody looking to buy a car of significant dollar amount and to have a safer transaction than I did. Um, but I'd like to share how that whole thing unfolded. So it, as you guys know, I, I used to have a Nissan GTR. I brought it to the first podcast back in 2017. Uh, in the meantime, I added a, a Porsche 996 Turbo, a 2002 model. That was going to be a great collection. But then in March of, of this year, I spotted in the good old um, Panorama magazine, uh, you know, Porsche magazine, uh, in their classifieds, I saw a Porsche GT2 for sale at a price that I couldn't believe. I mean, literally, I just, those could fall out of my chair. I'm like, well, what's wrong with it? You know, something's wrong. So I sent, in, uh, I sent in an email. He had his email address there. I sent the seller an email, and, you know, nothing happened. So a week goes by, nothing happened. So I figured, you know, it's a farce. <laughs> it's yeah. not a real car. Or it's sold right away. It was too good to be believed. Yeah, too yeah. good to be true or whatever. Well. But then all of a sudden, you know, I get this email back. It's, it's the guy, and, you know, he's saying, yeah, yeah, it's a real car. You know, I'm selling it for one of my clients. You know, this guy owns a, a motorsports shop that campaigns these cars, you know, and, and, sport, and even heavier-duty iron, like RSRs and stuff like that. And so it was quite a fascinating tale. So I'm I'm kind of then digging in. He sent a few photos, and I'm like, okay, this is real. You know, what am I gonna What am I gonna do? So I I, I didn't have too many. I had to sell two cars basically if I was gonna make this one car happen, and I had to do it fast. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you got a buyer or a, sorry, a seller. He's in a different country. So there's a lot of variables there, and I started to kind of dig in. And you know, the big thing was just getting the money together. I had to do that and. We, I was very lucky with, with the Porsche that I had. I sold it to a, a friend of, our, of ours, you know, the local community in four days of placing the ad. And then I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? I still got to sell the GTR. And that was harder. <laughs> so <laughs> those cars, although we, we all love them and there's there's a passionate community for them, it's definitely more of a depreciating asset. There's a lot of them on the market at any given time. 
and the real buyers are going to be pretty local for that car. There's enough of them in the greater metropolitan areas. You don't have to buy one from Florida, unlike Supras, you know, where you really do need to look, you know, nationally yeah. for them. It's just a rare, much rarer car. So the GTR, you know, it took me a while. Finally found a guy from the Portland area, and he, he was a real buyer, and we negotiated, he came up. So now the money was solved. He, he paid for the car, got it, and, and uh, actually used my credit union in a nice way. Like, we went in, and he was able to do all that smoothly, so that was good. And so now I had the money, but I still had this problem of a car in another country that I had to import. <laughs> and Laura and I talked about it, and my wife, Laura, for, for listeners, and we didn't know if it would be smarter to, you know, ship the car or some combination thereof of partial shipping or delivery, but I wanted to put eyes on the car. And it's a very complicated, and when you're talking about dollars this big, you know, you, you really start overanalyzing the whole thing, yep. as you guys know. So it's it's difficult, and the guy, the, the seller was good, but you got to remember, he wasn't the owner. So the owner was this mysterious entity that I had no access to. Basically, he couldn't be bothered by it in, in the... the guy who owns the shop's own words says no i just told him i'd do him a favor i'm moving the car for him it's fine you know he's got a lot of cars I'm like okay and i mean we hang around with these yeah, people we know so so, like so I, I i the story was not hard to believe it's toronto so it's a big city and there's a lar large sports car community up there and tracks nearby and all that stuff so everything was fine but it was kind of a weird layer of obfuscation there of you know i'm buying it but not from the owner actually I did with my GT3 RS by the way <laughs> so maybe it's not so strange um, but this is in Canada so there's there's this, this funny you know international component so I, I started doing the so I had the money the money wasn't the problem but then these two new problems showed up getting the money to the car at the right time meaning to the owner of the car at the right time not too soon and definitely not too late because we decided to fly you know to go pick up the car mm -hmm. well, when you start doc talking about dollar amounts this big it's actually a weird problem to have because you can't travel with the funds. He told me he didn't want a cashier's check because he thought it would be fake. You know, and I can't really blame him. You know, we've all seen that kind of episode. Wire thinking, transfer. Yeah. Okay. And then you'd think, well, let's do a wire. And come to find out, I went to about five different banks because I thought they were all telling me a line of hooey. You can't guarantee a, a wire transfer in a day if it's international. <laughs> so so I, I didn't okay. have the ability to send him the money kind of in real time, no matter what I did. And, you know, now the travel date was approaching, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, this is a, such a dumb problem. I literally want to put money in this guy's hand that I have, but I can't do it in a format and time that makes any sense for him to complete the deal. And you can't fly into another country with that much cash. You absolutely cannot. If you I mean, you can it, once. Yeah, you'd have to declare it. <laughs> it, it would be yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah it would be yeah. bad. So there, that was not a good idea, too. And then I, I, went to, I went to an international bank, and this is where I kind of exposed what I wanted to pass on to, to your, view, your you know, listeners. If you do want to do a bank transfer kind of to yourself, you can do that across a border, but it requires you to have a local account in each country. And so I could set up an account in, in Bellevue, Washington the same day, like with Chase. That was the bank that could do business on both sides of the border. Hmm. I don't have a Chase account, but I could have set one up in a day or instantly or whatever. Fill out a form and you got an account. The problem is to do a <coughs> Canadian account as a non-resident takes six weeks. <laughs> so you can do it. But it would take six weeks. It's almost so like they don't want you laundering money across yeah. the border. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mean, it's weird, yeah. So, so technically, if you really had to, you could solve the problem that way and then have the money transferred to your own bank account in a different country and then draw it right there on the spot, give it, pay, pay but it. Then to you a have person. to start the account. You have to have them hold the car for six weeks. You, ha I mean, there's a well, lot of. Yeah. You'd have to do the six-week thing ahead of time. I yeah, guess. that's my, my But point, yes, yeah. they would have to hold the car sure. if you were in a transaction. So that was out too. So. Realistically, you know, I started looking at all kinds of crazy options. I had Duct taping it to your wife, well, running I wanted, for the border. <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to do, and this is kind of silly because you can actually wire to your yourself, like through a mobile app nowadays. You could you could initiate a wire any place you were, but that wouldn't work. So then I looked at like if I gave the money to a trusted friend, could he send it in real time? No, the answer is no because of the Canadian border. So I had to kind of deep breath the whole thing. I mean, long story short, I, I sent him the money like three to four days before we went up there. So that was kind of some sleepless nights, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, you really have no recourse. You don't have the, 
the laws of your own country on your side if something goes wrong, you know, I don't know what would have gone wrong. And, you know, I'm taking it on faith that this was a good person, meaning it was told to me he was, you know, wealthy guy, has a bunch of cars, all that. Turned out he was, so there's no issue, but <clears throat> I wouldn't recommend it for your blood pressure. <laughs> and then the good second problem, yeah. 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 so there's still another problem, it, it, but money can solve it. So when you have a car that started its life in the U.S. and is now migrated elsewhere, the legality of bringing the car in is very interesting. So I, I researched it, you know, on the government website, CBP or wh whatever it is. I was reading about it, and I I could see that there were some serious flaws. So, meaning there wasn't even much to read, but I could see that the interpretation could be taken different ways. And so I knew that the worst-case scenario, I'd have to pay, I think it was 2.5%, but on a large dollar amount, so it's, it's real money. Yeah. And... So worst case, I was going to have to pay at the border, but I prepared us to not have to pay because they actually have a piece that says if the car started life in the U.S. and taxes were paid on it, it can come back for free. Oh. And the weird thing about all that, we got to the border, we got the car, the car was as we'd hoped, you know, for the most part anyway. I mean, when is a used car ever exactly what you think? But right. It's fine. I mean, the car was great. You know, the, the owner's wife showed up to release the registration in Canada. They don't have titles. They have registrations. So it's effectively the registration is the title. So she came to sign that off. So we met her. She gave it. A, it was a very nice lady. No problems. The shop owner was great. You know, he really did try to help us with that deal. He, he was very patient with us. It was fun to go check out his shop. You know, he had a really nice shop, similar to something we'd see here with the motorsports community. So it was a lot of fun. So all that experience was good. We get in and go to the pump, 94 octane. I'm loving life, you know, at the pump. <laughs> you know, it's like a fantasy land, even though it costs, you know, unlimited money, you know, by U.S. standards. Like, great, 94, I'll pay whatever you want. Yeah. So we get to the border, and now it's kind of like, okay, the, the rubber really has to hit the road. And I had these documents printed out that basically says, you know, if the car started as a U.S. car, here you go. And, and you have the documents that say that, correct? I had a form that showed, because it was purchased brand new in Colorado. So it was originally a Colorado car. And I, I had the original, a uh, copy of the original registration for the car from Colorado. But that's really all I did. You know, you, you can have all these forms. There's like at least four like key forms you're supposed to have. I just had this, you know, I just kind of rolled up. So and it depends on what type of mood the border cr well, crossing I'm guard getting, is in. I'm getting to yeah. that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we are, have the audacity to roll up in, you know, this Porsche with no plates on it, you know, trying to cross an international border. And, they're, <laughs> you know, the guy's kind of looking at us at the gate. You know, we get up to the first guy and he's kind of like, you know, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, yeah, hey, I just bought a car. Yeah. And he's like well, you're going to have to pay tax on that. And I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, I didn't want to get into an argument with this guy because I figured we're going to have to go inside and, you know, do something anyway. And he just said, you know, go over there, pull over, pull over. So we go over into the kind of the con the impound area, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, waiting been area. There. Yeah, yeah. Been there, yeah. And, and, you know, and it wasn't a terrible experience or anything like that, but they, they, they're like, okay, go inside and, you know, settle up basically. And we went in, we had our forms. We couldn't take a lot in the, into the office with us. They're like, leave everything else in the car. It's like, okay, fine. So they could, you know, search the car and all the yeah. contents. And so we get in there and, you know, the first guy's kind of like, you know, okay, it's your turn. Come on up here. You know, okay, you need to fill out all these forms to become a registered importer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. I just like I just like the way he said it. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I'm, I'm, that sounds fun. I'm registered in other parts. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we, we fill out the form and that was fine. And then, you know, they kind of looked at me like, you know, you know, you got to pay on this. I said, well, I don't think so. And we handed him that and we'd even highlighted the section that had like the, the, the big verbiage about you don't have to pay twice like double jeopardy or something and then they escalated it to the boss like the next level up and so now it's getting good right so now i'm like <laughs> yeah. okay uh, this could go really bad or good i suppose but it was actually amazing so then we, we sat back down and you know what goes on in those those rooms is very interesting so meaning you know now we're in kind of spectator mode yeah and just watching like what's going on and it's it's probably what you think it's people who are really having a hard time crossing the border like their documents aren't in order they don't have documents there's some question but it was the fa it was fascinating like just and watching you're trying this. to get into the country with a super car. i'm trying to bring this like <laughs> yeah. sports car in you know what the heck are you doing here pal yeah. So then, you know, the guy, you can see he's actually doing real work. Like, he's actually doing things and, like, trying to verify the car. Whatever he's got going on, he's got systems. He's making phone calls. He's doing his thing. 
And then, you know, he calls us up, and we're, we're kind of, you know, there's some fear still. You know, we, th- I figure it's time <laughs> to pull out the checkbook. Go? Yeah, yeah time, time to get out your checkbook. And he looked at us, and he was kind of like, well, you're free to go. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of looked at him like wide We're keeping eyed, the like, car, but you're free to go. <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so, so, but here, you know, it's an interesting twist. So we get to go, and they, they, the car was, like, disassembled, like the hood's open, the, the front, the engine lid, both doors. You know, it looks like a little model car that someone <laughs> they, exploded. They did that to me once. And yeah, you yeah. have to put it back together. Correct, yeah. correct. So, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't care at that point. You're just happy yeah. you get to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get to leave. You get to work on your own car. So yeah. they're all yeah. kind of looking at us, and, you know, we're laughing. And, you know, but we're like, oh, my God, we actually did. It, it worked, you know. <laughs> but but the reason I wanted to bring that up, particularly on y- your guys' show, is people get taken advantage of all day on this rule. Yes, they do. And so I think it was even happening while I was at the border. But I, I much like you guys, I follow Bring a Trailer, you know, religiously. It's like it's a coffee thing for me in the morning. I'm watching it, <laughs> you know, every day. And whenever a car is in that same state or same type of predicament where it started as a U.S. car and then it's in Canada. I always try to help people if I see those where I'm like, hey, you know, there's more to the story. And I think, and I'm not sure about this, but I think if you paid an importer, you would actually, it would not work out for you. The fact that it was the owner, like bringing the car, the new owner bringing the car in, I think that was actually key to success. So I wonder what would happen if you paid somebody to bring it over. I think you'd have an automatic fee, like you'd be paying, not just for the transport. Or they'd be telling you there's a fee at least. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. correct, correct. So I think people actually are losing a lot of money, and the government's getting a lot of money off of this thing. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. But, but it was kind of terrible to think that when you're actually there and you, you managed to avoid it. And so then, you know, the upshot of this story is we then had the car in the U.S. It only had one little sticker that said, I'm a Canada car. I, I had some programming done to turn the headlights off because that's a law in Canada. Right. You guys yeah, probably yeah, know yeah. that. So it was using its HID lights. You know, you start the car and it shoots the headlights on. I didn't want that. So you could program that out. Um, not not by myself, by the way. That's durametric work or yeah. PWIS work. So that's it's more serious. Yeah. Uh, but that was easy to change. And I had one little sticker that said, I am Canada compliant. So I gleefully took that off and, <laughs> you know, goof off the, the residue behind it. And, you know, it hasn't been an issue since. And it's, since it was a U.S. car, you know, there's no trouble with it. But I'll tell you one thing that Porsche does that's really weird, and I wonder if they still do it. Most cars will let you flip between kilometers and miles per hour in some capacity, like if they have a digital yeah, speedometer. You can go yeah. into so the like our Lexus actually is a Canada car, the Lexus ISF. So it, it's its analog gauge is only in kilometers, but the but the digital gauge you can toggle to miles per hour right, as yeah. you like. And that's the only one you look at, so it doesn't matter. But on the Porsche, it does something much worse. They actually allow you to change the odometer. So meaning the odometer itself right. will, yes, will yes. go into kilometers and miles per hour. So mine has an odometer discrepancy because it's lived on both sides. So you take a reading on one side, and then you go to the other side, and unless they were careful enough to say kilometers, which nobody would be, you, it shows a mileage discrepancy. So I still need to sort that out. And I've heard, like, it doesn't affect some people. It definitely affected my car. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the what higher reading in Canada, basically, you, you bring it back down when you come to the from U.S. Col- yeah. Oh, that, so that was the reason for the price then? Because no. The mileage no, no, discrepancy no. or no? No, no, uh, I mean, I found that out in the transaction. That was not, yeah. a, not a huge factor to me, but just it, it's an interesting thing that Porsche allows you to do that. I'd be really curious how many manufacturers actually let you do so, that. So Definitely you, Ferrari. When you, when you bring <laughs> it back in, and it was so it was up there and it was in kilometers, uh, the amount While of kilometers. While I lived there, yes. Yeah. yes. And when you brought it back down and you had to, and Porsche changed it back over, did you guys have to do no, the calculation? No, I, I changed it back. That's why I'm saying it's so weird. The user oh. has the ability to change it. But you does the car convert it back for you? Yes. Oh, yes. the car does really the math. Interesting. Okay. So I have a funny but interesting story, even from my car from Delaware, which you would think be, would not be that big of a deal to buy a car out of state and drive it back. But uh, there are not oh, just a handful. There's a lot I of... I know s- what it is. Yeah, yeah so yeah. There's, there's a lot of states that keep their plate. They sell the car yes. and you keep yes. your plate, you transfer it. Well, so... How you fix that if you're buying a car from Delaware or uh, Missouri or a handful of other states that do this um, is you get a trip permit for your drive back. And uh, obviously, if you're shipping your car, not a big deal. But I had to go to the Delaware DMV and get a seven-day – most of them are three. You can get an extended seven-day trip permit um, and then bring it back to the bring it back to Washington. Um super easy actually over there for some reason the delaware dmv actually figured things out and they're really efficient and easy to work with which is i didn't know that existed in the dmv so hats off to them but went in paid my 25 bucks got my trip permit drove it home thank god i did that because one it saved me the tolls on all the toll roads (laughs) because it can't read the template (laughs) (laughs) 
which made my drive back on the U.S. way cheaper and a lot more fun. That's funny. But also, uh, I hadn't got my plate yet here. And I didn't have a temporary plate because I didn't register it here yet. And then when you finance a car out of state, the, the bank will take care of all that title work for you. So what I was officially told by the Washington State DOL when I got back was, eh, just show me about the car. Don't worry about having a plate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I had no license plate, no temporary tag, no trip permit, nothing. And they're like, well, you can buy one every three days for 30 bucks." Yeah, it's three days here. Three days. And they that. said, or. They said, just tell, if you get pulled over, just tell them you don't have your plate yet and you're waiting for it to go through. I'm showing some paperwork. They'll let you go. It's like that's crazy. And no, yeah, it is crazy. Could you please say that into this recorder? Right. <laughs> yeah. What's really funny is, of course, my brother's a state trooper. <laughs> so I call him. I'm like, "Is this accurate?" He's like, "No." He's like, "But if you're not a jerk, they'll just probably let you go." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, like so many things, right? Yeah. He's like, so basically, if you're not speeding through a school zone or doing 150 down I-5, you're probably fine. But it is 100% a gray area. Yeah. Where it is totally not legal to drive a car without a license plate. Obviously, yeah. um, it's also difficult to get insurance when you don't have a license plate. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I had my paperwork in order, and most insurance companies were like, yeah, it's fine. Just let us know when you get it because you have a – there's a 30-day grace period That's where right. you can go That's right. w- between insurances. But this was super interesting, the fact that I didn't have a license plate. I was driving across the country with a trip permit. And I couldn't get a license plate when I had the car here. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, so luckily, um, your bank in this – if you have a bank that actually knows what they're doing, they actually expedite the whole process. Okay. So thank God, uh, First Tech, next day aired, everything certified. That's Every cool. single piece of paperwork I had for this car, they did next day are certified. So I actually got my license plate within like a week and a half. So it was only like five days I didn't have a license plate. But at first, I was upset because, well, one, I don't want to get pulled over without a license plate. <laughs> yeah. You can see how that could go badly, badly if you get somebody on their bad day. Uh, I wasn't too concerned about it due to the family connections, but most people don't have that. And so, uh, luckily, again, shout out to them for making that easy, but it is something you should be aware of. You may yeah. get a car with no license plate. You will need a trip permit, and you will have a short, brief stint between you buying the car and going to the DMV to get it. That's right. <laughs> so you will have a short stint where you're in the state you're in, if you're picking it up yourself, where you will not have any license of any form. Correct. Um, there is, in some law, in some states, I did look into this a little bit, they do have a stipulation for that. If you have bought a car and you're going to get a trip permit, like say you got it on a Sunday, yeah, um, you can go the next day without it. I would have been out of the state. That's true. So I intentionally picked up my car on a weekday in case I needed to go to the bank and do any transactions. This is a super important piece of this podcast here. If you're going to buy a car out of state, do it on a weekday. Um, yes. It's way easier to get stuff done. If you run into problems, you want to pick up that car at 9 a.m. on a Monday. The worst case scenario is you're stuck in that state while you figure out some paperwork errors. You can go to a bank and get a notarized signature. It's so much easier to conduct business that way. Give yourself that grace period. And yep. I've done this out of state a lot. So this is, and it has saved me twice now where I've had to go to the bank and fix an error in our paperwork. And it's worth it to have that all done ahead of time. Let me tell you a story about trip permits. That is an interesting topic of its own. So Washington, as you just pointed out earlier, they only do three day trip permits, which is kind of a, crap deal and i think it's like 30 dollars or something like so it's like ten dollars a day so the way i've done this when i bought cars including the porsche from from canada coming back is you just budget out like how long is the trip okay i need three of those roughly to do this whole trip so you buy three of them and they'll do that i I have some friends who Mm -hmm. own a licensing agency so i probably get away with more than i might need to but yeah it's fine oh you bought three consecutive trip permits and you don't fill them out so you fill you 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 wait till you get there and then you fill out the dates and then you kind of do the next date after that and then you got to swap them out and all that but that's not the 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 point of the story could have saved you 60 bucks with some whiteout yeah exactly well you (laughs) you know you i've never been pulled over with a trip permit in my life so 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 meaning i feel like it's almost like a golden ticket sometimes like or nobody noticed you well it used to be some of it's probably that till now (laughs) so but get this so what i understand from the actual legality and I'd love for your brother to, to answer this, is supposedly trip permits are only good in the state they're issued in. And I've heard that. So so every time I've traveled, particularly like these long trips, you know, you cross like nine to 11 states, if not a Canadian province, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you've got this Washington state trip permit. But again, no one's ever called it out. It's never been an issue. But I think technically you would need one in each state. So if you cross into another state, you got to get a new one. But again, I think that's the law. I don't think people care so much when you're yeah. buying a car and you're on the freeways the whole time. So unless you're getting pulled over for speeding, you're probably just yeah. I wonder what would happen if you hadn't returned that Delaware plate. 
Oh, he he took it right there. Oh, he took it. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought when you I, had to return it. No, I, I picked up the car from him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got the trip permit. I went from his house to the deal. The I DMV get it. There okay, I got you. Okay. Um, we're running on low on time. We are going to make this episode a little longer because there's a lot of good information here. But one of the things I want to cover before we take our break is just knowing to whether or not you should buy a car by looking at it. Um, it's not that easy to do. But there's a lot of times, like Steve said, you look at a car and everything looks great online. And I have had this happen to me. I've learned by being a victim of this, where I actually bought the worst car I've ever had in my life was the C63 that lived a very, very abused life before I had it. And it was still under warranty. So I want to get that out right away. Like, I, I, tip, I haven't bought any cars out of state that weren't under warranty. This one was flagged uh, by Mercedes. They have a special code where the car is still under existing warranty, but they have a flag in their system saying that it uh, needs inspection for any repair because they've seen the car in person and it had been modified too much. Um, my car, I, prior to my knowledge, was that car was modified heavily before I had it. Full suspension, full exhaust, tune, everything under the sun. But Mercedes had actually still continued the warranty on it because they'd come in for regular service. Hmm. That said, I wish that car, it, it, thank God it crashed shortly after I sold it to absolutely like the guy I sold it to could, couldn't have picked a better buyer to buy it because he was that's another story for another podcast he deserved a crash car. he deserved yeah. a crash car yeah, yeah. so and it, it, it lived only like a week after I sold it but um that said uh learn from my mistake here and one of the things I did thank god my last seller was amazing I had the best experience ever with the with buying the Porsche from the guy I bought it from because he was super upfront about Every single thing I could possibly ask on that car. Not only did he send me photos, he like sent me the small photos, then the link to the full-size photos that they were taken like with a pro-level DSLR that I could have made into like an 8-foot by 16-foot wallpaper. <laughs> like This guy had every detailed photo under the sun. I had like 100 photos of every nook and cranny of that car, all the suspension pieces, all the bushings. It, was, it went to Porsche for a full once-over. He extended the factory warranty for me. Wow. So like... The right seller of a car like that is going to go way above and beyond to make you make sure that you are not concerned with anything on the car. Like it has like uh, small rock chips on the rocker panels, which every 911 has, sure. um, and, and up by the intake vents on the quarter panels. It had had um, like a rock chip to the front lip that was uh, not the expandable one, but the between the bumper, between the clear uh, the clear guard on the car. Mm-hmm. I had super high res photos of every chip. Every nook and cranny, every stone that had been stuck in the carpet that hadn't been removed by tweezers. And he was willing to tell me whatever I wanted to know. This is my service advisor. This is the tech who works on the car. Wow. This is the warranty I've got it under. Here's the number of a Porsche to go check on this warranty. Talk to this guy. Uh, here's your local dealer. Give him this information so that they can give you paperwork on the car. Hell, the car came from your local dealer yeah, anyway. The so. car came from Bellevue, <laughs> went to Delaware, and came back to Bellevue. <laughs> but, uh, but that's just that said... If you don't find a seller like that, because I am like that, Steve is like that, you are like that, just walk away. It's not worth the headache. The right seller wants you to know exactly what you're getting, every problem included. And they want want the car to go to the right person, too. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, and I always take that as a red flag. If you have an indifferent seller, I've seen that a lot, where they're not like bad, but they're like, "Eh, yeah, it's got this, it's got that, and they don't really go into it. That's actually a red flag more than a person who's like, telling you well yeah i had this accident this is what happened here's the photos like you want to see that like not every car that's been in an accident is, is unrepairable and dead but the right seller absolutely wants to give you everything you want to know and will answer any question you have and will happily send you a picture of their id showing it who they are with the registration they'll talk to your bank they'll give you above and beyond any information they want because they want to sell the car and they want you to not hate them afterwards i think though you, you raised a good topic and i'll tell you when this can go wrong so I have a good friend in the super community. He's a very well-known guy. He's not on social media, which is probably for the best for everybody's sake, I guess, right? Like <laughs> God bless At least him. a few yeah. people aren't, right? Um, and he has like this five-page questionnaire he sends to people he wants to buy cars from. They don't sell him the car, yeah, right? They can see, you know. So what I'm getting at is it's not a bad strategy, but I've seen his questionnaire. It's very in-depth. I mean, it's more in-depth than most people could answer. And the problem is when you start talking about rare cars, you can't really play that game. And I'll give you an example. So the car that I bought, it's a rare example. And I was told, you know, as this deal started dragging on, it was kind of like, you know, the seller's kind of getting nervous. So don't raise any trouble for him or he'll just change his mind. Yeah. 
and you know, again, I'm dealing with a car at a price point that I could afford, but I couldn't afford the twin of it that was in the U.S. You know, with a little lower mileage. Oh, at this all. is on the Porsche. Yes. Okay. So, so meaning it was the only one I could buy. So I really it was like a gamble too. So you might have people that get themselves into that kind of scenario because I've done it a couple times already, and it's almost like it's a fate deal. But then you have to trust in the process too. So you can ask all the questions. But you may not be able to go as deep as you did, right? Yeah. You just may not be able to get away with that. And so it doesn't always mean you should back down, but it depends on the nature of the car. How rare is it? Is it a, yeah, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing? So that's the only the, the, the only point I wanted to make. Sometimes you don't get to do that if you really want that car. And I do want to say this, and these sellers do exist, the people that own these cars that don't necessarily know about it. But if they're willing to try, that's a good sign. Like sending yeah. them a five-page document. Somebody's going to come back and go, look, I can't answer all these questions. Yeah. But them being honest with you and saying I can't is, is better than them going I'm not going to. Correct, because correct. Especially in this car industry, we've all seen it. People that go out and they buy a car, they don't know what they bought. It either scares them or whatever. They, w- they go to sell it. Yeah. May, you, may not, you may not be dealing with somebody that's as knowledgeable about the cars as you are. But that's right. That does that don't that's a, that's a flag, but don't necessarily always walk away on that. Yeah, point. true. Yeah. It's like if somebody's buying – I mean, the guy's – I'm looking to sell my S4. Like, I have every high-res photo of every door ding and scratch I have on the car. But it's like, if I, like, dude, there's a million of them out there. I'm yeah. not going to be that picky. If I'm, I don't want to deal with the headache of dealing with somebody that picky because they're always going to be disappointed. Yeah. And your car like yours, I Correct. expect for the owner to have a higher level of knowledge Oof. of the car. Yeah. Same with mine. Tricky like, deal. Yeah. But then on a car like the GTR, like we were talking about, you can just get more of them. There are yeah. more <laughs> like that. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. You that. have to be, as a seller, you have to be more aggressive to get that deal done. Yeah. Well, that's like the supermarket now. Everybody's got one of the new ones. Yeah. Well, we, uh, could, we could do a whole episode <laughs> on that. I, w- I will say a big green flag for everybody looking at a car online is, one, any seller should always welcome a purchase inspection, uh, no matter what the condition of the car is. And, if, and you, as the buyer, should be willing to pay it. That's kind of how that deal usually works. Correct. Is if you want a seller's inspection, you're going to pay it. Correct. The buyer, and if you don't buy it, that's on you. But it's well worth your time and money. That brings up a good question. If I go to look at a car or I'm looking online and somebody's already done a PPI, should I trust that or should I have my own done? Depends who's done it. Usually it's the property of the person who paid for it. So, you know, other buyer. But I'm saying it's a, it's a trust issue, like we said. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like on your car, Dan, if, if, if he had already done a PPI that Porsche did, would that have been something you trusted or would you still have had it? Yeah, because it was done by the dealer. I, my okay. car was still under bumper to bumper warranty. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it's like I'm much lower risk doing that than I am other cars. I can just I literally just called the dealer and like I, I just asked him. I said, hey, the car, he told me that where the dealer car had been serviced. He said, called me to give him a call. I did. I called up and said, yeah, the car's lived its whole life here. It needs absolutely nothing. The guy's a great owner. You're going to love this car. And that was enough for me because it was still under warranty. Yeah. They verified the warranty. Bellevue verified the warranty for me too. Done and done. So anyway, uh, we're running a little long on this one, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, picking up the car and your first shakedown. We'll be right back. We spend an average of 8 hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens. Laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back. Yeah. Look at us. I know. Nick, I feel like you're left out of this one a little bit. I'm sorry. No, well, no, but it's. I just haven't been through these experiences like you guys have. I mean, I've. I, I did firsthand experience your your buying of the Porsche and and kind of that that journey. And you and I have talked, Steve, multiple times about the stuff you've done. But it, it's just an area. I mean, like we said, part of the podcast is to teach people. Well, I mean, I'm learning all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, uh, to me, I'm just going to buy cars in Bellevue. It's a lot easier. Uh, (laughs) It is a lot easier. Better pricing, too. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I saved a lot of money buying out of state. Um, I did want to do another. If you've got the cash and you don't want to deal with any of this, you don't have to. Um, That's a big thing I want to bring out. And there is uh, time is money for sure for all of us. And if uh, you're just like, I found the perfect car, but it's in, you know, New Jersey or Florida or Arizona or something, and I just want to get the car here. You can call up any of the local resellers here, basically. Uh, I, I know our friend uh, Jonathan at Cats Exotics. Uh, you can just give him a call and say, hey, I found this perfect car. Can you handle it? They will. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's a fee involved, but it's uh, sometimes that can be in your best interest. If you don't, 
I love this stuff. Like for me, it's really fun to go through this whole process of researching everything, figuring it all out. Like one, it gives me something to talk about here Absolutely. and it helps me to talk about my friends. Like I eat and breathe and sleep this stuff. I enjoy it. And a lot of our listeners do, but a lot of us just want to drive a car, get a car, or you have not nearly enough time. So you can get a hold of somebody like Zubrick over there and be like, I found this perfect car. Can you guys get it for me? And yeah, they can. They'll handle your shipping. They'll handle your paperwork. They'll get it all right to your door. And all you got to do is go into your local dealer and be like, sign here, sign here, sign here. You're going to agree to pay this amount for me to handle all this for you. And it's done. Um, And if you're buying from a dealer out of state, it's actually really easy because they can just do all the paperwork for you. Um, That said, when you get your fancy new car back here, if you decide to do it yourself and you haven't done it through a dealer or a broker, guess what else you have to do? Pay the government. Pay, yeah. Sell your kidneys and pay mm-hmm. the sales tax on your fancy new to you Porsche. Register it outside of King County. Yes. That's uh, the first thing you got to do. Yeah. Hopefully you're not in the ST3 zone where you will be bent over and cursing everyone uh, in Seattle. But And just so Nick knows, the ST3 line is in Issaquah, so there are places in King County and other directions. Uh, yes. Yes. You, you don't have to. You can avoid it in King County. Yes, but I mean, yes, but with all the BS going on right now of the taxpayers suing the taxpayers over <laughs> tax. I mean, welcome to Washington, where yeah, we use taxpayer yeah. money to sue taxpayers over taxpayer money. Yeah, but we're not bitter about that at all. But hey, Seattle hates cars, so we all know that. Well, yep. we definitely know that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yeah. So you are going to have to pay your local sales tax depending for where you're at and your local licensing. Um, so just so you guys know, if you're financing a lot of this, you can put that into your financing. Um, Be prepared. Financially speaking, I. I'd like to recommend people have more money than to finance the whole thing. Maybe you are just in a temporary spot. I, I just, I'm not anybody else's banker, but please be wary of getting yourself in over your head. If you finance your car that you got on a good deal, then you end up immediately in massively underwater of the car because you finance the sales tax and everything else. So keep that in mind when you're financing. Um, but that said, yeah, be prepared to do that. Your first stop um, is to go to the, the DOL and pay that big fat check. Um, so when somebody sells it to you, tell them that they sold it to you for a dollar. No, <laughs> <laughs> which you that cannot do. Work anymore. It doesn't anymore. Do anymore. Yeah, and so uh, and keep that in mind as well. Uh, that is it used to be so easy. Just wrote it on the form. I bought this for five dollars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, and uh, if you're financing a car, you can't obviously receive it as a gift. So you're not gonna be able to cheat it. Uh, yeah. I'm just gonna throw that out there now. You can't really cheat it. Uh, in fact, you might get cheated again. And here's what happens. So you go in and you bought your car out of state because you got a screaming deal on it. <laughs> 15000 under book. The car's all legit. You're happy with yourself. Well, guess what happens when you go into Washington State and you try and convince them you paid 15000 under book for a car? Nope. You're getting charged for that full tax amount because your car is worth 122000 in Bellevue. Even if you bring a sales receipt that shows what you bought for the yeah, car. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. This is the messed up part is you literally have to game the system legally to pay the proper amount you paid for the car. Um I just shake my head every time I think about how this state does anything to do with cars across the board. What are we at? Almost 10 sales tax? Now? Yeah. I, I don't think Washington does anything right with cars. No, I no, just, no. period. I don't, at all. I don't, I can't think. think well, we of pay a, all that money so the roads will be good. Never mind. <laughs> I can't think of a single thing they do right. And, and I know that's cynical and that's a terrible thing to say, but I genuinely can't think of a single it's thing we're cynical, doing right. That's true. It's just so inefficient. It's painfully inefficient to do the right thing. Um, even if you, like, Selling a car and paying sales tax twice again is still whatever. But anyway, be prepared for that sales tax hit. Um, understand how you can get around it legally, which is going through your bank and then paying off that, make, make your payment high, whatever, but you can go around it. Are there any sales tax issues with buying a car in another state and having to pay the sales tax in that state too? No, yeah. you don't get charged sales You tax. don't get charged. If they try yeah. to charge you, it's not legal. But yeah. You won't That's be paying your home going state. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you don't have to worry about that. They, any reputable dealer knows that though. They they really don't do that. I've never heard of that actually happening. But Dan, you've done a lot of discussion about some really great points about using a dealer to help you and things like that, but there's something we should point out for your listeners in Washington that people can take advantage of, and people do it all the time in our little network, and that is you can uh, apply the the sale price if you go through a dealer towards the new car if you do it within 30 days mm-hmm. one of our good friends is doing that right now people do that all the time you cannot do that in every state california won't allow it and it has to so be within 30 days it has to be within 30 days from what i understand i'm not a legal expert on it but i've talked to enough people i've heard that number over and over again but that's significant if you if you're trading your one hundred thousand dollar car in on a one hundred thirty thousand dollar car you're effectively only being taxed for thirty thousand dollars so it's powerful and that's how a lot of our friends do business and that's why it may make sense to to use a dealer 
you know, because you can take get take advantage of that tax. Can waiver, you only so. do that with a, a dealership? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. And I know, yeah, it's you. Can, any one of our local dealers who yeah. specializes in buying and selling used cars can help you with that. Correct. Yeah. So. It's all about timing, really. <laughs> it comes down to everything. It's like, maybe yeah. it's like you said, selling both of your cars, everything was timing. Yeah, sometimes you just have to go for it. And that yep. was one of those times. That yep. was painful, too, because I sold the Corvette like six months before I bought the Porsche. And so I lost. Uh, yeah, you uh, didn't get to do that. I didn't get to, uh, which cost me thousands of dollars. Uh, sure, but the deal was right when you bought it. So you oh, can no, argue it was that worth you, it, you did. It may not have worked out. Still, it's a painful thing to pay it twice. Yes, um, it is. That said, emissions is going away there, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, if you will for a short time, I think 2020 is the deadline for that. But if you're buying one in the next few months, bear that in mind. If you're buying a car with modified exhaust and everything else. Um, Actually, go into a little bit, Dan, because you know more about that than I do as far as what's happening. Uh, okay, so in 2020, emissions is being rolled out. Basically, it, it's not effective. Virtually none of our cars here don't pass emissions. It's simply not cost-effective for the state. Uh, it doesn't mean go rip your catalytic converters off. It's, it doesn't help your car, by the way, for the record. For everybody out there, uh, however, it is illegal to modify the catalytic converter or even your exhaust system in general. Um, that said, typically how it works here is it's stupid anyway they because plug the they plug in the obd2 thing so if you're not running a code chances are i mean i know people with like full-blown cob tunes running on methanol injection with no cats full-blown race cars that are like yep past emissions and you're like it shoots flames i used to do that with, i used to do that with my old subaru i just disconnect the battery like a block away let it reset everything because it, it always carried that a doesn't code. work though because it has to be in a state where it's ready so if you have just reset it, it there's a waiting period it worked. basically it well, worked i'm just it saying should i, not I read about that a lot what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah it, they really just plug it into the obd2 port now it's not even the sniffer doesn't even do anything half the time and so like i know a lot of people this has not been a problem for who are running very illegal cars literally shooting flames out the exhaust needless to say it's not exactly like a proven method, and that's why they're getting rid of it. Uh, it's just what was it like fifteen bucks or thirty bucks or something like that? I mean, they'll they'll <laughs> find the money somewhere else. But interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, prepare for emissions until twenty twenty. It shouldn't be a problem for you if you bought a decently tuned car. Even do you know, Dan? Is that January first or is it I don't some other know day? Because I, I don't know either. But I've heard the the year thrown out a lot. I just don't know the day. They're eventually going to realize the money they're losing, and and it'll change. Don't worry. They'll just add more tolls. <laughs> yeah. Start your car toll toll. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, you know, honestly, with the way EVs are coming in, I don't see it being a, a future thing anyway. It'll just die out. It is January 1st, by the way. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Fact, Fa check. fact check. Fact thank check. you, Jared. voice from the sky. <laughs> God, is that you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the emissions gods. Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, um, I recommend, the only other thing I recommend is making sure you get another inspection when you get home. Uh, I, that has saved me a few bucks here and there just by stuff I've, I haven't noticed. Like I got my car back, and after all that inspection, you know it was broken? The windshield washer tube. That's funny. <laughs> it had a crack in it. And so I went spray my washer, my windshield, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so that. And then you called him, and you said, why didn't you check it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why is this broken? <laughs> yeah, so my $18 uh, warranty. There you go. <laughs> my warranty repair was a windshield washer mm -hmm. tube. That's a good That's a good problem to have. Yeah, a great problem to have. So, it, again, though, it was just nice. I got the oil changed. I had them just give it a one over and they were like yeah it's all perfect just like you wanted so yeah but uh that's about it if you have any more questions on buying a car let us know sign it for our episode this is just it for our segment um if you have any more questions about buying a car or buying a car or you see a car you want to buy and you want our input uh myself steve or nick yeah here's steve's personal fo cell phone number uh no <laughs> hey but call at any time shoot Easy. us a, uh shoot us a message um also we have uh, another great thing i for, i'm going to add one more point here if you are finding a car on bearing a trailer, I know uh, previous guest Kevin Flynn did this as well. He had a buddy in the area who went and looked at the car for him. Very smart. Best thing you can do is just have a friend mm -hmm. go look at the car, take it for a spin. If the if it's a good seller, they're happy to let you do it anyway. Especially in the car community, you can find somebody. To exactly. <laughs> but reach, Avance has got resources in yeah. every state practically, or they know somebody. Um, we know people from all over the place from car shows and stuff, and most people are actively wanting to make the community better and help you get a good car. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, reach out. Speaking of Avance. Uh, well, I think the next big thing they've got coming up is uh, Friday, November 2nd. They're doing that uh, Avance at Dirtfish Rally School. December 2nd? All right, so, oh, sorry, November 22nd. I 22nd. apologize. Oh, sorry. Um, I think there's there. – I don't know how many spots are left, um, but uh, I think they're doing 10 total. But uh, if, you wanna, if you're a member of uh, Avance, uh, you can go and uh, check that out. It's – I mean, it's you're getting a discount, too, for going. 22nd? Is that, the, is that a, this Friday, though? Maybe. 
Yeah. Every second. Yeah. So it'll be the day our episode airs. Go to Dirtfish. Episode's air. Yeah, go to Dirtfish. <laughs> well, I, only if you signed up for this, but yeah. So. But yeah, if you're again, you're a great time to go to Dirtfish though. This time of year is great when it's raining and nasty and muddy, like Dirtfish heaven. Yeah, and I think um, it's coming out the same day as this comes out. But uh, Avance Portland is doing their kickoff. So. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I know yeah. they're already seeing members pop up in the Portland area. Um, they're already getting discounts. I think at Discount Tire down there. That was a previous tip of ours: is to drive down to Portland and get your tires and save like four hundred bucks on tax. We've done it. Yeah, <laughs> we have done it. Yeah. And then they have the Avance uh, Northwest Toy Run coming up December first uh, from nine a.m. to three p.m. So, you know, great I, cause. If you're not an Avance member, you should be. I went and did a, an Avance event uh, drive this weekend and got to see a couple of uh, local wrap shops that are that are related, one in Tacoma and one in here. So it was kind of neat. Cool. So, yeah. What's your uh, – so Steve is wearing his Avance Charter member shirt, and it's higher than I know your number is. Oh, you want to know the story behind the number? Yeah. So it's got a couple different meanings, but the most meaningful one is it's my anniversary, so my lovely wife. So oh. May 12th, so 512 is my is my number for Avance. And, you know, when he said you could pick your own number, I wanted something that was meaningful for me, and that was it. So that was the first thought, and, I, of course, it was available because most people wanted number four. Right, like you, <laughs> so <laughs> so five twelve was a, was a given, and yeah, I've been really happy. So it was nice, nice that uh, Adam did that for us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I I have I keep not wearing wearing mine. <laughs> like I just I, I want to keep it nice. So yeah, he gave us those for our birthday. I know. <laughs> you know where yours is? Probably in my garage. <laughs> yeah, it's Which in the, it's in your garage. It's in, in your garage. garage. Yeah, so I know. So from the birthday party. Gone. Yeah, nice. Well, Steve, thank you for coming in. Thank you for sharing oh, your course. knowledge. Like I said, uh, if you're in the car community here in the Pacific Northwest, Steve's not that hard to track down through Facebook. That's um, true. You know, super Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's true. And I'll probably talk to you, whoever yeah. you are. Yeah. So right. There's yeah. a good Over. chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, that's a great point. If you have a question about buying a car, Avance, just join Avance. Jump in the f- that's one of the great things about that community. You say you're looking for this car, you'll have a million honest answers that aren't going to patronize you, and people will help you get that car. That's yeah. one thing Adam's done that's just really stood the test of time that we can all appreciate. There's a lot of groups in our in our community, our local community, but that's the only one that's kind of held up that great standard of, you know, that social etiquette and kindness of enthusiasts all helping each other. So I really value it for it that. It has not turned into the Sharks and the Jets yet, uh, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody so gets along really well, which I like. Hats yeah. off to, to Adam, yeah. definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, for this episode of Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. And I'm Dan. Don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.